the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the, let's see, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is engineering and producing today's program, and it's about eight minutes after four o'clock. I had an opportunity earlier today to speak with Wes Walterman about the 2018 season of the Portland Singing Christmas Tree. We're going to share that conversation with you in the five o'clock hour. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited about what's coming. Now, you might think, well, aren't you a part of that? Well, as a soloist, you're not a part of the whole thing. And so you kind of get bits and pieces of what's going to happen. And uh, today I had an opportunity to talk with Wes and I'm excited about uh, what the choir is doing. And um, so we'll talk with him about that, or at least share the conversation we had earlier in the day with Wes um, at about 530 today. So if you have an opportunity to listen in, hang on until that conversation. Also in the four o'clock hour, we'll talk with Linda Evans. Her book is titled Praying God's Promises, The Life-Changing Power of Praying the Scriptures. So she'll join us in this hour. Well, a lot going on these days. That missing Iowa college student uh, may have been seen near Kansas City last week, according to police, as the small town where she vanished struggles to cope with the unwanted spotlight. And the presumed remains of 55 U.S. service members killed in the Korean War are back on American soil. Uh, President Trump thanked Kim Jong-un for keeping his promise, and Vice President Mike Pence hailed their return as progress in relations with North Korea. Now, I say presumed remains because this wouldn't be the first time that the North Koreans have provided remains that were anything but U.S. servicemen, or for that matter, servicemen from some of our European allies in the area. So the big, the jury is still out on that one. Special Counsel Robert Mueller has offered to limit the number of questions in a renewed bid to interview President Trump in this Russia collusion probe. And the judge and former Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort's federal uh, fraud trial repeatedly rebuked Mueller's prosecutors today, suggesting potential holes in their case. And voters in Tennessee will go to the polls on Thursday to decide primary elections where the governor's contest and the race to replace retiring Republican Senator Bob Corker takes center stage. Well, the big question being asked is where is Molly Tibbetts, a missing Iowa college student who vanished two weeks ago, may have been um, seen last week in the Kansas Kansas City area, according to police. Um, Kearney, Missouri police said 20-year-old Molly Tibbetts, who's been missing since the 18th of July, was possibly spotted eight days later on the 26th at a local truck stop near the intersection of Interstate 35 and Highway 92. Meanwhile, residents in the Iowa town where she vanished uh, say that they're uh, still trying to come to grips with the dramatic case as police search for the student who was lost uh, last seen rather on the 18th. It's been confirmed that police have uh, taken copies of all surveillance tapes associated with her disappearance from Casey's General Store. She was last seen on the 18th when she left her boyfriend's home to jog. The boyfriend, uh, whom police have cleared as a possible suspect shares the home with his uh, brother and his fiance, and Tibbetts uh, was staying there to watch his dogs while the, uh, he was out of town on business. Well, both President Donald Trump and Vice President Mike Pence have praised North Korean leader Kim Jong-un for returning the remains of 55 Americans who were presumed dead from the Korean War. Thank you to Chairman uh, Kim Jong-un for keeping your word and starting the process of sending home the remains of our great and beloved missing fallen, Trump tweeted early Thursday morning. I am not at all 
surprised that you took this kind action. It was very interesting watching the vice president who received them in Hawaii when those uh, remains returned there, uh, the way that they were so respectfully treated, not knowing precisely who these remains uh, belong to. And it may take some time before they're identified. The vice president said Wednesday that the return of the remains was a sign of tangible progress in our efforts to achieve peace within the Korean or on the Korean Peninsula. I know President Trump is grateful to Chairman Kim kept that he kept his word. He went on to say today is just the beginning and our work will not be complete until all our fallen heroes are accounted for. Uh, Pence, whose father fought in Korea, spoke at a ceremony in Hawaii's Hickam Air Force Base to mark the arrival of the remains on U.S. soil and the beginning of a long process to identify them. North Korea handed over the remains last week. A U.S. military plane made a rare trip into North Korea to retrieve 55 cases containing the remains. Hundreds of U.S. and South Korean troops gathered for a repatriation ceremony at the Osan base in South Korea before the case uh, cases rather were put on military planes bound for Hawaii. At the early retrieval, the bodies were draped in U.N. flags. Uh, when they arrived in the United States, they were draped in the United States flag. Special Counsel Robert Mueller has finally responded to a letter from the president's uh, team outside attor- his outside attorneys about what the scope and format of a potential interview with the president would be. Sources familiar with the investigation say that uh, Mueller has agreed to cut the number of questions for the president from the initial 49 and is willing to have some questions answered in writing, though he wants other questions answered orally. The sources added that Mueller has not agreed to the president's demands to limit his questioning to matters related to allegations of collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. The special prosecutor still wants to ask the president about obstruction of justice and other topics. The sources also said talks with the special counsel about a possible interview are continuing, but as one source said, there's still a long way to go. And as we've heard, the president's outside counsel are are advising him not to do that sit down. The federal judge presiding over the fraud trial of ex-Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort rebuked special counsel Robert Mueller's team repeatedly on Wednesday, highlighting potential vulnerabilities in the first prosecution arising out of the ongoing Russia probe. The 78-year-old Reagan-appointed judge T.S. Ellis sent jurors out of the courtroom several times as he reminded prosecutors that Manafort is not on trial for simply having a lavish lifestyle. Prosecutors have introduced a bevy of exhibits and are in the process of calling several witnesses as part of their effort to paint Manafort as a tax scofflaw who failed to report money spent on luxury items, then lied to get bank loans when his foreign consulting work dried up. But the Mueller team has rebuffed, uh, rather was rebuffed by the judge when it tried to introduce photos of Manafort's closets filled with suits and other high-end articles of clothing. And Tennessee's state uh, race, uh, state Senate race, uh, has uh, heated up. Uh, The primary is today. It will solidify which two candidates will face each other in November. Representative Marsha Blackburn leads the GOP field, vying for the seat being vacated by retiring Senator Bob Corker, also a Republican. She's been endorsed by the president, who traveled to Tennessee in May to campaign for her. As for the Democrats, former Governor Phil Bresden, or Redson, uh, has emerged as his party's leader. He leads uh, Blackburn by less than or fewer than five points, according to Real Clear Politics polling average. This Senate race is considered a toss-up by uh, news outlets. It's among several races crucial to Trump's plan to maintain control of the Senate, where Republicans are defending a narrow two-seat majority. Meanwhile, the contest to 
succeed popular term-limited uh, Republican Governor Bill Haslin has uh, attracted four leading Republicans, U.S. Representative Diane Black, former State Economic Development Chief Randy Boyd, businessman Bill Lee, and State House Speaker Beth Harwell. Together, they have uh, put some $40.2 million of their own money into the race and have spent a record $45.7 million total. With a spending spree, the candidates have fought over who's more loyal to the president and his tough-on-immigration priorities. Vice President Mike Pence has offered his support for Black, but Trump has stopped short of endorsing her despite keeping her by his side and praising her during several events. And on this day in 2000, Republicans awarded Texas Governor George W. Bush their 2000 presidential nomination at the party's convention in Philadelphia and ratified Dick Cheney as his running mate. 1939, on this day, Albert Einstein signed a letter to President Franklin Roosevelt urging creation of an atomic weapons research program. And on this day in 1876, Wild Bill Hickok is shot and killed while playing poker at a saloon in Deadwood, Dakota Territory by Jack McCall, who was later hanged. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back 22 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Just a reminder, coming up at 4.30, we'll talk with Linda Evans. Her book is titled Praying God's Promises, The Life-Changing Power of Praying the Scriptures. That's coming up in our next two segments. Well, top Trump administration officials warned today that Russia is posing a sustained threat to American elections with its influence operations, saying democracy itself is in the crosshairs. Well, top national security and intelligence officials sounded the alarm during a White House press briefing earlier today, raising concerns about foreign operations that pose a threat to the 2018 midterms and even the 2020 election. We continue to see a pervasive messaging campaign by Russia to try to weaken and divide the United States, the director of national intelligence, Dan Coats, said. The briefing showed the administration review, uh, renewing rather its public commitment to combating the Russian threat just weeks after the president faced broad and bipartisan criticism for initially appearing to accept Russian President Vladimir Putin's denial of meddling during their uh, summit in Helsinki. But National Security Advisor John Bolton, in a new letter to senators, said Trump has directed a vast government-wide effort to protect U.S. election integrity. Well, during the briefing, FBI Director Christopher Wray said that the threat is broad and deep and is not going away. Coates said the threat is real and continuing, and we're throwing everything at it. A single attack can have widespread and cascading consequences. It's not just risk of prosperity, privacy, and an infrastructure, Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen said. Our democracy itself is in the crosshairs. So that uh, took place earlier today during a press briefing. Well, Congress is taking big strides to defuse President Trump's shutdown threat, working to pass as many spending bills as possible before next month's deadline. So most of the government will remain open no matter what the president demands on border security. Well, on Wednesday, the Senate cleared a $154 billion package that funds the Food and Drug Administration, the IRS, and other programs for 2019. Senators now have passed seven of the 12 bills needed to keep the government open. The House has passed six. Those measures still need to be reconciled in a conference committee, but lawmakers are pushing to have as many as nine bills completed before the end of the fiscal year on September 30th, putting those operations on firm footing and outside the reach of government shutdown. Says uh, Senator Roy Blunt, a Missouri Republican, this is actually the way this work is supposed to be done. He said it before I did. It's supposed to be done before the 30th of September. It's supposed to be done in smaller packages where members have a chance to debate the amendments on the floor, and we're doing that. It's such a rare thing, and it's been such a long time. It's uh, thrilling to see it happen as if for the first time. It's been years since Congress passed even one of the uh, dozen bills on time, and Democrats and Republicans are intent on doing better this year to avoid an election eve shutdown showdown. Uh, Mr. Trump, though, is making it difficult.
difficult. The president this week repeatedly said that he would shut down the government if Congress doesn't give him enough money for his proposed border wall and other immigration priorities. I'd be willing to do it, and you should. Uh, you could do it before the election or after the election, he told a radio host on Wednesday, Rush Limbaugh. Mr. Trump hasn't uh, said exactly how much money would be enough. The Senate included a $1.6 billion for the wall construction in its 2019 Homeland Security spending proposal. House lawmakers have allocated just $5 billion in their version. So $1.6 versus uh, $5 billion uh, in their wall fund. The bills have been approved at the uh, committee level, but neither one has passed in a floor vote. Lawmakers signal that is uh, one bill on which they're unlikely to reach agreement before the fiscal year deadline. As I mentioned earlier, Vice President Mike Pence said Wednesday, that Wednesday rather, the return of the remains of 55 Americans presumed dead from the Korean War was a sign of tangible progress in our efforts to achieve peace on the Korean Peninsula. He spoke at a ceremony at Hawaii's Hickam Air Force Base to mark the arrival of the remains of U.S. Uh, remains on U.S. soil and the beginning of a long process to identify them. Today, they are known but to God, the vice president said. His father fought in Korea, but soon we will know their names and we will tell their stories of courage. Some have called the Korean War the Forgotten War, but today we prove these heroes were never forgotten. Today, our boys are coming home, uh, the vice president uh, wrote. The return of the remains was part of an agreement reached during a June summit between President Trump and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. I know President Trump is grateful that Chairman uh, Kim kept his word, the vice president said, but today is just the beginning. North Korea handed over the remains last week. A U.S. military plane made a rare trip into North Korea to retrieve those 55 cases containing the remains. Hundreds of U.S. and South Korean troops gathered for a repatriation ceremony. After the vice president spoke on Wednesday, the cases were removed from C-17 transport planes placed on uh, stanchions in the hangar as a military band played hymns. Each container uh, was accompanied by one Marine, one sailor, one soldier, and one airman. The vice president watched the procession with his hands over his heart. Admiral Phil Davidson, commander of the U.S. Indo-Pacific Command, saluted as well. Defense Secretary Jim Mattis said last week that the return of the 55 cases was a positive step, but not a guarantee that the bones are in fact American. At the repatriation ceremony in South Korea, the cases were draped in United Nations flags in a possible sign of that uncertainty. On Wednesday, however, the cases were draped in the U.S. flag. In just a few moments, the remains of some of these uh, same American heroes will finally return to American soil, draped in the colors of the country they served. Today, they are unknown to God, the vice president said. At one point in his remarks, the vice president pointedly said, we trust the remains belong to American heroes who fell in the Korean War. Some have called the Korean War the Forgotten War. There were 7,699 U.S. service members listed as unaccounted for from 1950 to 1953, the period of the Korean War, of which about 5,300 are believed to have died on North Korean soil. The remainder are those uh, who died in South Korea but have not been recovered, those who died in air crashes at sea or on ships at sea, and some believed to have been taken to China. And their fates, of course, are unknown. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll talk with Linda Evans. She's the author of Praying God's Promises, A Life-Changing Power of Praying the Scriptures. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 36 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Unfortunately, we're having some difficulty connecting with my guest, Linda Evans, Praying God's Promises. If we can reach her, we'll talk. If not, we'll never talk again. Okay, maybe not that. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> so I'll just wind my way through some of the stuff I wasn't going to have time to talk about. And I think uh, we're also going to hear from Wes Walterman a bit early uh, in this segment, so we'll keep you posted. U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein uh, fired a staffer a few years back who was allegedly part of an effort to spy and pass.
pass on political intelligence to the Chinese government. This is an example of the problem we've been having that predates this administration. The staffer based in the Democrat San Francisco office was suspected of delivering political intelligence, though nothing top secret, to officials based at the local Chinese consulate, according to Politico. Well, the FBI informed Feinstein, the then chairwoman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, about five years ago about the staffer and allegations that the staffer was a spy. The source who confirmed the incident to the San Francisco Chronicle said Diane was mortified upon learning about it, as one would expect. The suspected spy served as the lawmaker's driver in California, but took on other roles as well, including helping out in her San Francisco office, being her liaison to the Asian American community in the state. He attended Chinese consulate events on behalf of the senator as well. A former official said that the spy's handlers probably got an award back in China for his efforts to penetrate Feinstein's office and pass on intelligence. Well, the driver was reportedly recruited years ago after he uh, uh, befriended um, on one of his trips to Asia someone from China's Ministry of State Security, the country's intelligence and security agency said. He didn't even uh, know uh, what was happening, that he was being recruited, a source said. He just thought it was um, some friend. Well, the FBI wasn't able to charge the individual, possibly because he was passing on political intelligence rather than classified material, making the prosecution nearly impossible. They interviewed him and uh, Diane Feinstein, the senator, uh, forced him to retire, and that was the end of it, the Chronicle reported. None of her staff ever knew that what was going on. They just kept it quiet. Uh, anyway, just an interesting example in view of warnings we heard once again today of efforts to influence, to penetrate, to seek uh, information. Well, the federal judge in the trial of ex-Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort told special counsel Robert Mueller's team on Thursday they can't prove a key part of their case unless prosecutors call Manafort's former business partner to the stand. U.S. District Court Judge T.S. Ellis III he issued the warning after prosecutors suggested that Rick Gates, um, who is cooperating with prosecutors and had been considered a potential star witness, might not be called to the stand after all. Well, referencing Gates, Ellis told prosecutors in court they can't prove conspiracy without him. Not necessarily, Mueller prosecutor uh, Greg Andrus uh, responded before saying they uh, still have every intention to call Gates to the stand. Ellis, a 78-year-old Reagan-appointed judge known for colorful comments, also quipped that his wife wasn't fooled by the prosecution's comments on Wednesday, leaving open the option of not calling Gates, suggesting he did not believe the prosecution was being serious about the possibility. During the opening arguments this week, the defense team made it clear they intend to blame Gates, uh, who handled some day-to-day business operations for Manafort for many of the alleged reported deficiencies, and uh, of which uh, Manafort is charged. Manafort faces uh, charges of bank and tax fraud related to his work in Ukraine. He's pleaded not guilty to the charges. Before the jury entered the courtroom on Thursday, there was renewed discussion about whether pictures of Manafort's clothing and other expensive purchases could be presented during the trial. Judge Ellis repeated that he will not allow the prosecution uh, to gild the lily, as he put it. It could become relevant if there was a dispute of uh, what the money was spent on, uh, the judge said, suggesting there is no dispute at this time. Manafort's bookkeeper, Heather uh, Washkun, also testified Thursday that she had no knowledge that Manafort had any foreign holdings at all. Uh, She also said that her firm charged Manafort about $100,000 a year and that she went to Gates when she couldn't reach Manafort. Prosecutors have introduced a bevy of exhibits and they're in the process of calling several witnesses as part of their effort to paint Manafort as a tax scofflaw who failed to report money spent on luxury items then lied to get bank loans when his foreign consulting work dried up and the drama continues. Well, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Manhattan is investigating whether three prominent Washington power players engaged in illegal foreign lobbying as well. After special counsel Robert Mueller's office referred the matter to federal prosecutors, um, those under investigation include Tony Podesta, a Democrat.
Democratic lobbyist and co-founder of the one-time lobbying powerhouse, the Podesta Group, Vin Weber, a former GOP congressman from Minnesota, and attorney Greg Craig, who worked in the Clinton White House and served as White House counsel for the Obama administration. Tony Podesta was already known to be ensnared in potential legal problems, having stepped uh, down from his firm last year amid scrutiny from the special counsel probe. His brother, John Podesta, ran Hillary Clinton's 2016 failed presidential bid. Robert Mueller's investigation leads uh, is leading to these new probes over illicit foreign lobbying. Jonathan Hunt um, uh, made the initial re- report and inquiries referring to the Southern District of New York. The source confirmed that Tony Podesta, Craig, and uh, Weber are suspected of failing to register as foreign agents and that Mueller referred the matter to the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York earlier this year. No charges have been filed publicly and initial efforts to reach Podesta uh, were unsuccessful. So this is broadening to other areas as well. Well, the next uh, writer to take a close look at the Trump presidency is Bob Woodward. The celebrated journalist of Watergate fame has written Fear, Trump in the White House. Simon & Schuster announced on Monday the book is coming out September 11th. According to the publisher, Woodward is uh, drawing on hundreds of hours of interviews along with notes, files, and diaries to invoke a harrowing life within the White House. Over the past 40 years, Woodward has written written rather best-selling accounts of several administrations. He and fellow Washington Post reporter Carl Bernstein teamed up on two classics about President Richard Nixon, All the President's Men, and The Final Days. Fear also renews a Woodward tradition that had been on hold for several years, a book about the sitting president released during an election year. And former President Barack Obama on Wednesday endorsed dozens of Democrats in races across the country, flexing his political muscles in the midterms and vowing to hit the stump for some of them before November. Notably, the former president did not endorse liberal darling Alexandria um, Ocasio-Cortez. I knew if I thought about it for a moment. In the New York House race, the Democratic Socialist has teamed up on the campaign trail with Bernie Sanders, Senator Sanders, but her high profile after defeating House Democratic Caucus Chairman Joe Crowley is the primary, rather in the primary, has raised concerns in some corners of the Democrat Party. In New York, Obama endorsed two candidates, House hopeful Antonio Delgado and Ann Kaplan for the state Senate seats, saying, I'm proud to endorse such a wide and impressive array of Democratic candidates, leading as diverse uh, leaders as diverse, patriotic and big hearted as the America they're running to represent. The president said in a statement on Wednesday, I'm confident that together they'll strengthen this country we love by restoring opportunities that's broadly um, uh, shared, repairing our alliances and standing in the world and upholding our fundamental commitment to justice, fairness, responsibility and the rule of law. His list of 81 endorsements includes more than half dozen former administration and campaign officials. 44 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Six minutes after 5 o'clock is our time and we're glad to have you with us. James Blend is engineering and producing today's program. Well, a senior Turkish official has accused the president, Donald Trump, on Thursday of jeopardizing the longstanding ties between Turkey and the United States. Of course, we're NATO allies by allowing sanctions on two Turkish ministers over the detention of American Pastor Brunson. Well, the Turkish government called on the United States to reverse its decision to subject Turkey's interior and justice ministers to financial sanctions. Ankara also vowed to retaliate for Washington's move, which is aimed at pressuring NATO ally Turkey into releasing Pastor Andrew Brunson. The evangelical pastor originally from North Carolina is on trial in Turkey on espionage and terror-related charges. He has been released from prison but remains on house arrest and the charges stand. Well, the sanctions have inflamed already tense uh, relations between the two countries that are allied in the fight against 
terrorism in Iraq and Afghanistan, but can no longer see eye to eye over a series of issues, including Washington's support of Syrian Kurdish militia that Ankara considers to be terrorists. Relations have also soured over the recent conviction of a U.S. Uh, in the U.S. of a Turkish banker of charges of uh, helping Iran evade sanctions. A senior advisor to Turkish President uh, Erdogan told the Associated Press that Turkey was deliberately uh, deliberating possible measures, but wanted to minimize the uh, the damage. Everyone's very disappointed. Nobody expected this kind of treatment toward two cabinet members. Uh, he went on to say President Trump is taking a very small case and jeopardizing Turkish-American relations and Turkish-American friendship. What the Turkish side is doing is not burning all the bridges, but trying to keep the bridge intact and try to salvage whatever is left of the relationship. He went on to say, well, the White House said the sanctions would target Turkey's justice and interior ministers. The officials Washington held responsible for the pastor's arrest and detention. The Trump administration insists there is no evidence against Mr. Brunson and says that he's being treated as an, uh, in an unfair and unjust manner. The president uh, insults the Turkish judicial system. The spokesman went on to say he says the pastor is being kept a hostage in Turkey. He is not a hostage. He is under trial in Turkey. Well, the uh, the process of uh, carrying out that trial is quite different than here in the United States. He's only had a couple of hearings and not before being in prison nearly two years before the first took place. Under the sanctions to be imposed by the te- Treasury Department, any property or interest in property belonging to the Justice Minister and the Interior Minister from Turkey within the U.S. jurisdiction would be blocked. Americans uh, would generally be prohibited from doing business with them either. The Turkish Treasury and Finance Minister uh, and Erdogan's son-in-law uh, called the sanctions unacceptable uh, today, but said they would uh, have limited effect on Turkey and its economy. News of those sanctions scared financial markets, causing the Turkish lira to uh, drop to record lows, all in an effort to gain the release of Pastor Brunson. Now, I'm not in a position to determine if this is uh, the right move on the part of the administration or not. I do appreciate efforts are being made uh, to gain his release. I just pray that this is a wise move rather than a a foolish move on the part of the administration to try to gain um, his release. It just reminds me that we need to be praying for wisdom uh, in whatever decisions and movements are being made, that it doesn't escalate tensions that already exist, that it doesn't exacerbate the problem, that it doesn't make it worse for the pastor as he becomes a pawn in a much larger uh, game of back and forth with a NATO ally. We need the King of Heaven to intervene on behalf of this man of God who uh, is praying for his release so that he can return to the United States. It became clear two years ago that uh, after the coup that took place and um, the uh, sort of the sweep across the country of anyone that was perceived to be, and in this case a Christian pastor, to be in opposition to the political leadership there, uh, it became clear that Pastor Brunson can no longer pastor uh, the church that he has uh, pastored for uh, many years and has been in Turkey. Uh, in ministry for some 20 years. So the prayer is for wisdom, uh, that the president wouldn't jeopardize larger issues for the sake of this one man, that God would do what his word says, and that is change the heart of a king. We're talking about uh, political leaders, but I think the principle applies. As the scripture says, he can change the course of a mighty river. He can change the heart of a king, and the heart of uh, Iran's president has been hardened by this latest uh, threat of sanctions, and one can only hope that God would intervene uh, in the middle of it all for the sake of Pastor Brunson and for the sake of others who might be harmed in this uh, this negotiating process. Well, Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard is expected to put 100 gunboats in the Persian Gulf sometime in the next 48 hours to practice what they call swarm tactics. It simulates actions which could potentially shut down the Straits of Hormuz, where roughly 10% of the world's oil passes through every year. Two U.S. officials reported on Wednesday, Iran normally conducts its annual swarm exercise in the fall, but officials said the event has been moved up, likely due to recent threats made between President Trump and Iranian President Rouhani in recent days. In a statement about the 
exercise, Navy Captain Bill Urban, a U.S. Central Command spokesman, said, We are aware of the increase in Iranian naval operations within the Arabian Gulf, Strait of Hormuz and Gulf of Oman. We are monitoring it closely and will continue to work with our partners uh, to ensure freedom of navigation and free uh, flow of commerce in international waterways. The Arabian Gulf is also known as the Persian Gulf. A U.S. official said there has been no mention of any threats to American forces. President Trump, however, had strong words for his Iranian counterpart last week, which seemed to allude uh, to rising tensions. Uh, quoting uh, the, the president in a tweet to Iranian President Rouhani, uh, never, ever threaten the United States again, or you will suffer consequences the likes of which few throughout history have ever suffered before. We are no longer a country that will stand for your demented words of violence and death, end quote. Well, currently, the guided missile destroyer USS Sullivan is in the Persian Gulf with some British and French warships nearby. There are 10 American patrol craft based in Bahrain at the headquarters of the U.S. Navy's 5th Fleet. Iranian President Rouhani never, ever threaten the United States again. These are strong words. Well, the U.S. destroyer is part of the Harry S. Truman aircraft carrier strike group, but the aircraft carrier is uh, not in the Persian Gulf or surrounding area right now, having returned early to Norfolk, Virginia, late last month following a three-month deployment. Well, the president said on Monday that he would be willing to meet with Rouhani with no preconditions on the heels of that fiery exchange. And of course, there was a response from the Iranian leader as well. Iranian officials rejected the president's overture to meet a day later. So that's the back and forth there. And the uh, the date moved up for these exercises among the Iranian military personnel. Well, the Department of Justice made a a deal on 3D gun technology without President Donald Trump's approval, the White House said on Wednesday. When asked uh, about uh, what the president plans to do specifically about 3D plastic guns and whether he had spoken with the National Rifle Association about the issue, White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, said the Department of Justice made a deal without the president's approval. On these regards, uh, the president is glad this effort was delayed to give more time to review the issue, and this administration supports the decades-old legislation already on the books that prohibits the ownership of a wholly plastic gun, she told reporters at the White House press briefing. The president tweeted on Tuesday that he was looking into 3D plastic guns being sold to the public. He said uh, he already spoke with the NRA and that allowing the gun design to be released to the public doesn't seem to make much sense. Well, as we discussed yesterday, this is not a new development. That technology and uh, the means to do so has been out there for quite some time. Chris Cox, executive director of the National Rifle Association Institute for Legislative Action, issued a statement as well, uh, saying this was on Tuesday. uh, Many anti-gun politicians and members of the media have wrongly claimed that 3D printing printing technology will allow for the production and widespread proliferation of undetectable plastic guns. Regardless of what a person may be able to publish on the Internet, undetectable plastic guns have been illegal for 30 years. Federal law passed in 1988, crafted with the NRA support, makes it unlawful to manufacture, import, sell, ship, deliver, possess, transfer, or receive an undetectable firearm. Um, As was uh, reported uh, earlier, a federal judge issued a temporary restraining order against the uh, defense uh, distributed, uh, actually the Trump administration, as well as the uh, defense distributed that it released the plans. They developed the technology. Well, the attorneys generals of eight states, uh, Washington, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, uh, Maryland, New York, as well as Oregon and the District of Columbia sued to block the release of that technology. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, 16 minutes after five o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 19 minutes after 5 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, President Trump met with a group of black pastors yesterday, and one of them is quoted as saying Donald Trump will probably be the most pro-black president
president we've had in our lifetime. That's a quote from Pastor Daryl Scott uh, said during a White House meeting with inner city pastors the president held on Wednesday. Pastor Scott said Trump actually wants to prove something to the black community while former President Barack Obama didn't feel he had to. But to be honest, again quoting the pastor, this is probably going to be the, and I'm going to say this at this table, the most pro-black president that we've had in our lifetime because, and I try to, you know, analyze the people that I encounter, this president actually wants to prove something to our community, our faith-based community, and our ethnic community. Again, quoting Pastor Scott of the New Spirit Revival Center in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. Well, the last president didn't feel like he had to. He had to. He felt like he didn't have to prove it. He got a pass. This president is, this administration is probably going to be more proactive regarding urban revitalization and prison reform than any president in our lifetime, he went on to say. If we work together, give him a chance, don't pay any attention to these guys back here, he joked, referring to the White House press pool, and I'll promise you we will uh, do something that we will, this administration will continue to make history. It's going to be a lot of positive changes. Great things are on the horizon, I promise, end quote. Well, Scott said that uh, he had the honor and privilege to work with in-candidate, now President uh, Trump, and to observe him behind the scenes and have a number of personal conversations with him. And people ask me, why do I uh, defend him so vociferously? And I say, it's easy for me to do because I know him and he's shown me his heart. And I know he has a heart for all Americans, the pastor said. And I will say this, this administration has taken a lot of people by surprise and it's going to surprise you guys even more because this is probably the most proactive administration regarding urban America and the faith-based community in my lifetime. And I'll be 60 years old in December, the pastor went on to say. Well, Trump praised the pastor as well, saying I have to say one thing about Daryl. So I don't uh, know. So I didn't know him at all. And I'm watching one of the, I would say, unfriendly groups of broadcasters, to put it nicely. And I said, who is that guy? He was destroying them, I say. Um, Who is he? And then I then I say two or three times. And I said, I have to meet him. But I want to uh, just thank you. You have been incredible. You have some voice. Anyway, kind of mutual um, praise for one another. The president started the meeting by touting the economic gains his administration had made so far, including lowering unemployment, reducing regulations, cutting taxes, increasing U.S. energy, promoting U.S. manufacturing, as well as launching a a workforce training initiative addressing opportunity zones for continued uh, high unemployment and the tax reform and helping former prisoners re-entering society to find jobs. We've increased and created 3.7 million more jobs since election, the president went on to say. We've launched a bold workforce training initiative. So far, about 100 uh, companies and associations have already pledged to train and retrain over 4 million Americans. So important because we have uh, companies once again coming back to our country. We fought um, very hard to include opportunity zones in our tax bill, which, as you know, we have. And he goes on from there, saying that our focus on opportunity for every citizen includes helping former prisoners. These citizens reentering society have had a tough time. We want uh, them to get jobs so that they don't have to return to the life of crime and go back to the same prison where they just got out. I mean, this has uh, been a tremendous problem. And the best thing we can do actually is exactly what we're doing, creating an environment where the country is doing so well. Anyway, you didn't get much coverage on this, but it was rather, I didn't know the meeting was taking place until I saw just a few minutes of press coverage at the conclusion of the meeting when the uh, press pool was invited back in. But this particular African-American pastor was quite impressed by his meeting. This is Pastor Daryl Scott, um, and he uh, was very outspoken in the press conference, setting high expectations as to what the black community should expect moving forward. I'm sure he'll be ostracized in some circles, but it will be interesting to see uh, whether or not his prediction uh, comes true. Meanwhile, Pope Francis today announced a change in
in Roman Catholic teachings about the death penalty to no longer consider capital punishment acceptable at all. The pontiff said the death penalty should not be accepted because it lacks human dignity. The church teaches in the light of the gospel that the death penalty is inadmissible because it is uh, attentive to the inviolability of and dignity of the person, the Pope said. On Thursday, he added the formal change to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, a compilation of official church teachings. Pope said the church will work with determination to abolish the death penalty worldwide. The key point here is really human dignity. The Pope is saying that no matter how grievous the crime, someone never loses his life or her human dignity, Vatican spokesman Greg Burke said. The announcement by the Vatican is a reversal in traditional Roman Catholic teaching on the issue. For a long time, the recourse to the death penalty by the legitimate authority after a regular trial was considered an adequate response to the seriousness of some crimes and an acceptable, even if extreme, means for the protection of the common good, the Pope added. Well, today the awareness is growing that the dignity of the person is not lost even after committing serious crimes. Furthermore, a new understanding of the sense of criminal penalties by the state has spread. Finally, more effective detention systems have been developed, which guarantee the proper defense of citizens, but at the same time do not remove the possibility of redemption from the offender. The Pope is the spiritual leader of more than a billion Catholics called for the abolition of the death penalty, in, uh, or rather Pope Francis called for the um, de- end of the death penalty in 2015. So it is now an official part, or will soon be an official part of the Catholic catechism. Well, Apple briefly reached a $1 trillion market capitalization with shares climbing above the $207 price point on Thursday. On Wednesday, the company announced that it adjusted its numbers of shares outstanding, which gave investors the pre-share level to hit the milestone. This makes Apple the first U.S. company to reach a trillion-dollar market capitalization. PetroChina reached one trillion market capitalization briefly in 2007. PetroChina is backed by the Chinese government. The momentum continued for Apple uh, today following the company's latest quarterly uh, earn, uh, earnings report on Tuesday. Well, after the closing bell on Tuesday, the tech giant reported that despite slow-growing demand for the iPhone, the company benefited from higher prices of its flagship device and that its fiscal third quarter profit jumped 32 percent to 11.52 billion on a per share basis. Uh, earnings hit 2.34 to beat Wall Street's estimate of 2.18. Well, Amazon is approaching a trillion dollar market cap, assuming 484 million shares outstanding, as indicated in Amazon's second quarter financial statement with a share price of $1,000, uh, $1,810 rather. This put Amazon's uh, market capitalization at about $871 billion. So, wow, at least for a few moments, that's where it stands. Socialism has taken a direct hit in Ontario. The Canadian uh, cash grab in Ontario, Canada, has been a bust, and the province is discontinuing its universal uh, basic income program that was uh, doling out about $12,000 a year. Social Service Minister Lisa McLeod said the plan was not sustainable, probably because um, UBI never replaces existing welfare programs. It just augments them. It takes giving Stormy Daniels, um, well, I'll leave that alone. Well, UBI has uh, misguided fans on both sides of the aisle who see the purpose of government as uh, perpetuating poverty uh, through dependency, all while heartlessly sticking middle-class income earners with the bill uh, for benefiting for benefits rather they'll never see. Taxes go up and those most deserving of economic mobility are the ones deprived of it. At the same time, these crumbs do little to address the avenues that force people onto onerous welfare programs that are by and large poorly run and paternalistic. Well, Finland, that great petri dish of utopian socialism of a sort, also slammed the brakes on UBI, that universal basic income, as they found the pilot program was doing more to hurt the economy than eradicating poverty. Well, Stockton, California is next. Their UBI kicks in next year and will likely kick a already overburdened taxpayers in the 
the teeth as fiscally challenged citizens will be asked to fork over more money in a state where they're already overtaxed with so many barriers to employment. It's a miracle uh, there's a tax base at all. But again, Ontario, Finland, they've uh, dropped theirs. It just didn't work. The math didn't add up. We'll see whether or not that message resonates here in this country. By the way, we have been giving away family four packs of um, day passes to the Oregon State Fair, and we want to do that right now because we want you to be able to go. By the way, on Wednesday, the 29th of this month, Faith and Family Night at the Oregon State Fair. Day passes include general admission seating at the Skillet Concert. Uh, that is uh, that night. So general admission admission seating is first come, first serve. We're going to give away this uh, family four-pack of day passes to the Oregon State Fair to caller number five. And the number, 503-786-9390. 503-786-9390. I forgot just that quickly. Caller number five. All right, we'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Now, I know we just finished with July and Christmas in July is kind of a popular theme. And we've already started August, but I am delighted that Wes Walterman, who is the director and CEO of the Portland Singing Christmas Tree, is with me here in studio with some exciting news about the Singing Christmas Tree 2018. Welcome back, Wes. It's always a pleasure to have you. And it's so great to be here, even if it's August 2nd. And uh, <laughs> it feels so good to be back in your studio talking about what I love and what you love is Christmas. You know, the thing that's exciting to me about the fact that this is August 2nd, it's that much closer to November 23rd when it the is. Singing Christmas Tree starts. Every minute that goes by, we're getting closer to Christmas, Thanksgiving time. It's just around the corner. Absolutely. Now, you did something um, something innovative this year in that you called upon people who have enjoyed the Singing Christmas Tree to weigh in on what they might like to see in 2018. Tell us about what happened. You know, we finally got smart and said, what what are the people actually buying the tickets want to see? Yeah. And what do they want to feel and what do they want to bring their friends and their family to? So we thought we'd throw a, a survey out, which we compiled and had a lot of great questions about the show, the field show, uh, different solos, different different things happening in the show, and said uh, and sent it to about 3,000 of our of our participants and those buy tickets. And uh, as a result, we've changed the entire entire show up for this, this season, from beginning to the end. Wow. Now, for people who have been to the Singing Christmas Tree and absolutely love it, you might want to explain what you mean by that. You know that. what? Yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me do a little explaining. So if you were in attendance la- this last year, for one, we're not doing one single song last year's show. So let me explain this part. It still has the great uh, the great traditional, we're moving to more traditional type Christmas carols in the first half. Uh, our Santa Claus is not going to be emceeing the entire first half. He'll be in a scene with all the kids. We're adding a couple of kids numbers to the show as well. Uh, we have 10 brand new songs that the choir, the audience has never heard before. Fantastic Christmas pieces. We're bringing back 13 songs based from the year of 1999 to the year 2012 that are some of the crowd favorites over the years. We're bringing those back this year. We're ending with a Hallelujah Chorus. We're revamping the entire nativity, cinematic living nativity, beginning with a great song. It's called Almost There. It was a Michael W. Smith, Amy Grant song that they uh, made popular in their concerts. And it's a great, fantastic uh, uh, solo with uh, Mary Joseph and the choir moving into Mary Did You Know and some other very moving songs. And, and making our, we're, we're condensing the time of our nativity down to about 14 minutes when it used to be about a 25-minute mm-hmm. nativity. And it's just as impactful as it has ever been. Also, what our audience really wanted was, can we hear more large choir numbers, more full choir numbers? And we said, absolutely. So this year, the choir has more music than they've ever had to learn before. It's going to be very, very challenging. We have one of the largest choirs uh, since I've been there, and this is my sixth season, one of the largest choirs at 250 members at this point with another 40 that have yet to respond that maybe half will be coming back. Mm-hmm. So we'll be pushing probably 275 for a choir, which uh, Greg Tamlin, our producer, kind of is like, okay, where are we going to put all these people? How are we going to move these people around the stage? You know, But it makes for a fantastic extravaganza. Well, and it, what you've just described is a holiday extravaganza. And I think we are all confident that whatever the tree ends 
ends up being this year. It's going to have some of our old favorites, some new songs. Uh, we should mention that Katie Harmon, who's a former Miss America right here from the state of Oregon, she's going to be returning. And this is going to be an opportunity for us to uh, to hear some old favorites, to learn some new music and have a great celebration. And it will be. And she, she'll be teaming up with Timothy Greenidge on, on uh, The Prayer. Mm. And she'll also be doing a, a great version of Oh Holy Night. She'll be singing with our kids on a number. Uh, you'll be coming back with a fantastic song called Christmas Makes Everything New. It's off of one of your albums and uh, with the choir, it's going to be a fantastic piece as well. You know, I love that the choir is going to be the focal point that people come to the singing Christmas tree to hear. I mean, it is, after all, the singing Christmas tree. These voices together make such a an angelic statement about what Christmas is and to have them prominently featured, as they've always been, but even more so, is yes. I think is going to be a real treat for anyone who comes. Yeah, I'm, I'm equally as excited as they are about this. Now, as I mentioned, we're, we're into August, but there's an opportunity for those of you who know you are coming to the Singing Christmas Tree and others of you, and I meet you all the time saying, oh, I'm planning on going to the Singing Christmas Tree this year, and it's already come and gone. There is a pre-sale discount available right now through the 14th of August that gives you an opportunity to say, yes, I'm not going to miss it this year, and I'm going to enjoy a discount. And that's $5 per ticket off, and that, that offer uh, extends through August the 14th. Yes. Um, also with this is we purposely, after the survey went out, decided the ticket price are a little bit too high across the board. We brought all ticket prices in all areas wow. of the killer down. And on top of that, this $5 off each ticket is a great savings to, to those who love to come and see the tree. Also, in the past, those who cannot afford to come to the show, we've always given a preview. We call it a sponsor's preview night, where we invite thousands of people from the metro area to come out and be a part of this. The only problem with that was there's so many people that couldn't come on that night that would have loved to have come that we decided we're going we're gonna to keep a certain amount of tickets available in each performance, each of the nine performances, and we're going to be bringing those people into each one of those performances. Wow. Just can't afford it, but would love to be part of it. And so that's our, kind of our give back community this year, and I'm super excited about that. Oh, that is exciting. Yeah. If you've never been to the Singing Christmas Tree and money has been an issue, this is a great opportunity for you. Now, for folks who would like to recommend a family or something or someone who isn't able to afford, what's the best way for them to communicate with the tree to be considered for that uh, that great gift? You know, you can go on uh, singingchristmastree.org, our website, or you go and, and call into the number for Patty and just talk to Patty, and she will get you signed up for those, and she'll find you seats, the dates that you are able to attend with your family or friends, and make that happen for you. Oh, that's excellent. Now, a couple of things you need to remember. The price ranges for tickets across the board have been reduced, so it's more affordable than ever before. And if you take advantage of this pre-sale season that extends from now clear through the 14th of August, you're going to enjoy $5 off each ticket you purchase. You're not going to want to miss that. And you're not going to want to miss the start of the Singing Christmas Tree on Friday, November 23rd. There are nine performances, and as I mentioned, they begin on the day after Thanksgiving, Friday, November 23rd. And the closing performance is the following Sunday, that's December the 2nd. Now, you need to check out those dates because it will come and go before you know it. And I don't want to hear anyone else this year say, oh, I missed the tree. I was planning on coming. Now you know. Get your tickets, enjoy them at a discount, and know that the uh, price range has been reduced all across the board. And as uh, Wes mentioned this year, the Victorian era is back. You're going to hear 10 brand new songs, 13 oldies from the seasons of 1999 through 2012. Katie Harmon, former Miss America, she's going to be performing as uh, as long as well as some of your favorites. This is going to be a year to remember, and I think the right way to describe it is a holiday extravaganza. It is, and uh, this is a unique year as well. We're having a piece written for us from a composer in New York, and he's put a lot of time in over the last three months, and it's called Christmas Around the World. We go to six or seven different countries, and we take those countries' favorite Christmas carol, and we combine it with a medley.
So we'll have the costuming of those countries. Oh, cool. And we'll be doing it in those countries' languages. And uh, it's going to be a challenging use for choir, but it's going to be such a fun way to end our first act. You remember um, It's a Small World from Disneyland? Yes. You know, it's not going to be that melody or anything, but it'll be kind of the same, the same thing and the same feel, and except with no boats on water going through <laughs> <laughs> different vignettes. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. We don't yeah, have to right. board a ship in order exactly. to enjoy the song. Well, I tell you, there's a lot going on in our community right now. There's a lot of divisiveness, and I would encourage you to not only consider purchasing tickets for you and your family, but maybe there's a neighbor, a coworker, somebody that needs to be reminded of the joy and central meaning of Christmas. And if you plan ahead to purchase tickets and you can enjoy a, a discount of $5 per ticket through August the 14th, this might be a great gift to give someone else who's never been to the tree or needs to, uh, to experience that joy with great music, great performers, uh, and a, a holiday extravaganza. Now, again, the tree is Friday, November the 23rd. There's a 2 o'clock performance, Saturday and Sunday, 2 o'clock and uh, 7 o'clock on Saturday, and a matinee at uh, 2 o'clock on Sunday. And then it resumes the following Thursday, the 29th, and concludes on Sunday, December the 2nd. Now, I don't expect you'll remember all of that, but you can go to the website, singingchristmastree.org. You can also call the box office and take advantage of these lower prices and the discount that's extended through the 14th at 503-557-8733. 503-557-8733. This is going to be the people's choice singing Christmas Absolutely. tree. So Absolutely. we encourage you to uh, to take part. Now, when does the choir begin uh, rehearsing? We actually uh, kick off August 20th, just in a couple weeks. Wow. We give them their CDs, all their music, and then we kick off regular rehearsals on a weekly basis right after Labor Day. So you've got the adult choir, you've got the children's choir, yep. the Jefferson dancers. Yes. All of this is uh, the preparations are being made long before you and I are thinking about Christmas. And then when Friday, November 23rd arrives and those curtains open, there is an extravaganza you do not want to miss. Now, again, the website, singingchristmastree.org, singingchristmastree.org, or you can call the box office. And I know Patty is there right now, so she can talk with you if you'd like to purchase your tickets. 503-557-8733. Again, that's 503-557-8733. If you happen to be in your car and you can't write that down, you have a short memory, call me here at the station and I'll hook you up. So feel free to do that. Well, Wes, I appreciate the work that you put into developing the program because it doesn't just happen. You have It takes you and associates a long period of time to think through how it's all going to go together and to consider yeah. what people really want to see and hear is a real gift to our community. Yeah. So I thank you for oh, the work that you've done and privilege. the work that's yet to be done yes, thank you. Uh, leading up to the 23rd. We're looking forward to this season. Ah, me too. Hey, thanks so much for talking with thanks, us today. Thanks, Appreciate it. Again, singingchristmastree.org, or you can phone them at 503-557-8733. It's going to be a holiday extravaganza. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. You might uh, detect a little enthusiasm in my, uh, my voice because I'm excited about the approaching Singing Christmas Tree. And I do hope you will take advantage of the discount and uh, make your arrangements to attend now. Okay. I wanted to give parents something of a heads up. There's a sort of a suicide challenge that's making its way through social media, in particular WhatsApp. Uh, it's a Momo suicide challenge, and it sparks fear as it spreads on the um, on the app, again, by the title of WhatsApp. Uh, this game, as it's called, is dubbed Momo. It's been spreading on WhatsApp, prompting police to issue warnings about the shocking challenge. 
Um, the uh, Buenos Aires Times reports that police there in Argentina are investigating whether uh, this um, Momo is linked to the suicide of a 12-year-old girl in the district of Escobar. The girl filmed her activities prior to hanging herself from a tree in her family's backyard, according to the local news. Authorities suspect that someone encouraged her to commit suicide. Now, this is, um, I won't say all that I'm thinking about it, but uh, this is something parents need to be aware of and mindful of. The Sun reports that police in a number of countries have voiced their concern about the so-called challenge, as it's uh, being uh, put. Momo is described as similar to the sinister blue whale challenge that led to reports of suicides in Russia and here in the U.S. The blue whale suicide game, as it's uh, referred to, a game, is believed to be a social media group that encourages people to kill themselves, according to The Sun. Momo uses a creepy cropped image of a sculpture depicting a young woman with bulging eyes and black hair. Um, Don't add Momo, warned Spain's uh, civil uh, Guardia Civil in a recent tweet, noting that the game has gone viral on WhatsApp targeting teenagers. And while it seems uh, implausible, it's apparently having an impact. Police in Mexico say that Momo started in a Facebook group where people were encouraged to commit with an unknown telephone number, or rather communicate with an unknown telephone number. Computer crime investigators from the Mexican state of Tabasco warn that the game is a new challenge aimed at children and young people. Avoid talking with strangers, it tweeted recently. So it connects you with actual people at an actual number, and uh, apparently uh, those who participate are encouraged to end their lives. In social networks, the image of a terrifying woman is circulating. The investigators say in a statement they call her Momo, and she invites those who see her to write to her through WhatsApp. Momo threatens to appear in the night or lay a curse on the users if they do not respond, according to Mexican police. Criminals can use the game to steal personal information or even incite users to commit suicide or violence, according to investigators. The creepy uh, image was taken from an Instagram account and then circulated on WhatsApp, according to police. Um, And while much of what we're uh, hearing about it is in South America, they tell us that it's also having an impact here in the United States as well. And while to you and I, something like that seems so foolish, and why would anyone want to follow a, a meme like that? Apparently, it is having an impact on young people, and some are actually going through with what they're challenged to do, and that is to end their own lives. We also learned that uh, British scientists believe that they have unsolved, or they have solved rather, the unsolved mystery of the Bermuda Triangle. Now, British scientists believe 100-foot rogue waves could be the reason why so many boats have been sunk in the mysterious Bermuda Triangle. Now, we hear about aircraft in this same area having uh, some difficulty, too, so one wonders, well, the infamous body of water in the western part of the North Atlantic Ocean stretches about 700,000 square miles or kilometers um, between Florida, Bermuda, and Puerto Rico. Also known as the Devil's Triangle, the area features multiple shipping lanes, has claimed over a 1,000 lives in the last 100 years. Experts at the University of Southampton believe the mystery can be explained by a natural phenomenon known as rogue waves. I think most of us believed natural phenomenon would be the explanation, but didn't know what that natural phenomenon might be. Well, appearing on uh, Channel 5 documentary, the Bermuda Triangle Enigma, scientists use indoor simulators to recreate the monster uh, water surge. Rogue waves, which um, only last for a few minutes, were first observed by satellites in 1997 off the coast of South Africa. Some have even measured 30 meters, which is 100 feet high. Uh, The research team built a model of the USS Cyclops, a huge vessel which went missing rather in the triangle in 1918, claiming 300 lives. And because of its sheer size and flat base, it doesn't take long before the model is overcome with the water during that simulation. Uh, Dr. Simon Boxall, an ocean 
Ocean and Earth scientists say that infamous, uh, infamous area in the Atlantic can see three massive storms coming together from different directions, the perfect conditions for a rogue wave. So it's proximity to these land masses that I mentioned. He believes such a surge in water could snap a boat such as the Cyclops in two. He said there are storms to the south and north uh, which come together. And if there um, are additional ones uh, from Florida, it can be a potentially deadly formation of rogue waves. They're steep. They're high, which is pretty much the same. Uh, they've measured waves uh, in excess of 30 meters. And again, we're talking about over 100 feet high. Uh, the story originally appeared in the sun. And this may, in fact, be the explanation for that uh, that triangle. A couple of things. I uh, want to remind you that uh, we have an opportunity to purchase tickets early for the Singing Christmas Tree. And you can do that by phoning the box office at 503-557-8733. There you can see the entire lineup, the dates, the times. There are matinee performances. There are evening performances. So there's something for just about everybody. And as West mentioned, if you are a, a family, if you're part of an organization and you simply could not afford to attend an event at the Keller Auditorium, where the Singing Christmas Tree will be performing once again this year, beginning November the 23rd, um, there are opportunities at some of the performances, at each of the performances, I should say, uh, for tickets to be gifted. So um, if you know of a situation or if you are in the midst of one, you can call and find out more about that. Again, 503-557-8733 or singingchristmastree.org. Also, we're going to be giving away our final four-pack of uh, tickets, family four-pack of day passes, rather, to the Oregon State Fair on Friday will be our last uh, opportunity to do that. And I do want to mention that you can also um, enter to win tickets on our uh, KPDQ page. We're going to be giving away tickets to the Singing Christmas Tree. So uh, check that out as well, kpdq.com, for your opportunity to win tickets to the Portland Singing Christmas Tree. All right, I think that just about uh, just about wraps it. I want to thank James Blind for engineering and producing today's program. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guest, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.